All right, this final lesson, lesson six, we have entitled Exercising Authority. It's one thing to teach five lessons on authority, and that's great, but then how do I do it? What do I do with it? How do I use it? So that's what we're going to cover. And in a word, it's very simple. You speak. Everything is about speaking. You, if you think about any realm of authority, it's always spoken. And that's what we're going to see over and over again. This is a very simple message. I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to make it more profound. Sometimes as a pastor teacher, I want everything I say to be profound. And then I realize it just doesn't have to be. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel over and over and over again. So let's read through some of this because we do have a lengthier lesson. We have consistently reviewed the definition of authority, and we are defining that as the right or power to make decisions, the right or power to give orders, and the right or power to enforce obedience. And this is an intuitive definition. We understand it, I think, through our life, our careers, our jobs, being in school, dealing with law enforcement, that someone in authority has the right or power to call the shots. The previous lesson introduced the four spheres of authority, and we covered those as spiritual family, na uh, personal authority, natural family, and civil governments. And we covered them in the order that they were revealed in the Genesis account. Nowadays, we would probably reverse it, and we would say first and foremost is family uh, authority or natural family, and then your natural family teaches you personal authority, and then you're brought into the local church, and at some point you're born again and made part of a spiritual family, and all the while this is being kind of overseen by a civil government. So the order that we probably encounter it today is not necessarily the order that God created it in, but I'm not sure there's, uh, I don't think we need to split hairs on it at this moment. We learned that these are the four areas where God has given authority to produce and maintain peace and harmony. And that's one of the things we've said over and over again. The premier purpose of all authority is to create and maintain peace and harmony. The premier purpose of all authority is to create and maintain peace and harmony. We know that that's not how it's always used. It can be used to abuse, used to manipulate. It can be used to extort. It can be used to intimidate. And these are all wicked uses. The seed of authority is ordained of God. The use of authority is usually perverted. Even Jesus told his disciples and those following him, go and offer the sacrifices of Moses as a testimony to the Pharisees, for they sit in the seat of Moses. They sit in his authority. What remains is the discussion concerning how to execute or exercise our given authority. Now that we've learned about authority, how do I use it? working with law enforcement, we understand they have a badge, which is a badge of their authority, and they have a pistol and a taser and other uh, non-lethal forms of policing, and they use all that to enforce their authority. But they have to also be taught how to use it, how to escalate it. They have to be taught their jurisdiction. They have to be taught um, what to wink at, in a sense, what to really come down hard on. They have to be taught the nuances of their authority. Uh, I would tell you the secrets of policing, but I don't want to intimidate or encourage your uh, lawlessness because I've learned the tricks of the trade and I know where all the traps, I don't, all the traps, I know where some traps in town are. But this is, there's a subtle nuance. Even our police who are law enforcement officers are not legalistic. 
There's some stuff they say, I'm not even fooling with it. Even though it's the letter of the law, even they have learned, I'm not going to fool with it. It is amazing that some, a lot of our law enforcement aren't as legalistic as Christians can be. And I, as I say, sometimes our legalism kicks in our life and we start acting like Rain Man, if you know the show from the 80s where he was mentally disabled or autistic and he'd just get hung up on something and hung up on something and definitely have to watch Wapner. That was an old judge show, Judge Wapner, Wapner at five, that, 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 definitely Wapner at five, Wapner at five, Wapner at five. And we're not picking on those people with those diagnoses, but that's how we get sometimes with Christianity and legalism and the law. Uh, no, that, that definitely, definitely, I, 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 yeah, yeah. And I think you're gonna break. Your mind is gonna snap because you're clinging to the fence post that's supposed to be the boundary setting, which the boundary gives you all the freedom in between fence posts. And sometimes we cling to that one, 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 definitely, definitely law. Can't do it. Definitely law, law, law. And you'd live and die and tread down all the grass around one fence post when you had a whole acreage behind you to be free in. The one letter was supposed to say, just don't go beyond this. That that definitely can't. Won't even go behind it. Won't even go in front of it. Just going to stay here at it. Generally speaking, all authority is demonstrated through communication, usually speech or speaking. Now, obviously, you can send letters and decrees and declarations and amendments, but it all is spoken to enforce, like the police. Uh, the lights communicate you're being pursued. They may have to get on the speaker and say, please pull over, please stay in your car. They'll tell you, keep your hands on your dash. They're giving you commands because they're communicating their authority. Put down the weapon. Raise your hands. Stop resisting me. They're giving, communicating uh, authority and saying, uh, even when they discharge the taser, they have to say, taser, 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 so everybody can step back so anybody grabbing the bad guy doesn't get dropped too. They're communicating. Hopefully your teachers do the same thing. You as parents should do the same thing. As a husband, you should be communicating as well. The four spheres of life are governed through words to accomplish the following. This is common sense, but let's look at it. The four spheres of life life are governed through speech to communicate general or accomplish general communication, to give direction, to give instruction, to give encouragement, to give uh, uh, correction, rebuke, promotion, and demotion. If you're going to promote somebody, you need to let them know. And if you demote somebody, you don't just gaslight them. You got to let them know, I got to sit you down. But communication, speech, is used to you, uh, exercise the authority you've been given in these arenas. When you're in a seat of authority, your authority is to create and maintain peace. And peace requires communication. Peace requires direction. Peace requires instruction. Peace requires encouragement. Every parent realizes you've got to hold a baby and say, shh, it's okay, it's okay. He's going to be all right. Peace requires correction and rebuke. Peace requires promotion, and peace requires demotion. Sometimes if you have a moron or a rebel in charge, you have to demote them to maintain peace. So the preceding actions are necessary and should occur regularly for a church, person, family, government, or a business to become and stay healthy. All you have to do is drop communication, and whatever you're over will decay. The biggest complaint in every institution, be it marriage, school, job, military, Police is, I get no communication. Uh, when I was in the uh, secular world, there's a lot of different allegories used for management 
style. We had the seagull management style, which is how some dads father. The seagull, they fly in, they squawk a lot, they poop all everything, then they fly out. That was called seagull management. Then there was mushroom management. What's that? That's where they keep you in the dark, feed you a bunch of manure, and hope that you grow. Both of those complain about the lack of communication and maturity in the leadership. So maybe we're both seagulls and fungus farmers. <laughs> Squawking, but poop's involved in both of them. Because when life circles back around, it's always poop. Only speak the word. Whether we are making decisions, which must then be communicated. This is where most marriages fall apart because the wife is thinking or the husband is thinking, and we assume the other person knows what we're thinking. Sometimes the husband says, I don't read minds. What's wrong, honey? Well, I, if you don't know, I am not going to tell you. That's a retarded woman. You should be smarter than that. Honey, I'm asking. What's wrong? If I have to tell you, it's not important to you. It's important to me, which is why I'm asking. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand because we'll have marriage counseling this week and I got other things I want to do. Or the husband thinks and knows the direction and because he thought about it five times and grunted twice, he assumes his wife knows what he's thinking. And the woman's frustrated. Why don't you tell me what we were going to do? Uh, we talked about it. No, you talked about it to yourself in the bathroom when you're in there for 45 minutes because it all comes back to poop. You didn't communicate it to me. Does this sound familiar? So you have to communicate with an amen. How about we practice what I'm teaching? I give you authorization to say amen. amen. There we go. It makes me feel a little bit better. Whether we're making decisions, giving orders, or enforcing obedience, authority cannot be demonstrated without communication. It has to be communicated. Even the most subtle way of communication, a haughty look, is still communication. Or a huff. <sighs> still communication. Kids get spanked over that. Adults should too. Proverbs says the king scatters evil with his eyes. That's communication. We've all been in those meetings where you say something dumb and the leadership just looks at you and you realize, oh, I did it again, didn't I? They didn't even have to publicly humiliate you. You knew you crossed the line just by that head turn and that look. That's a king who is feared. Matthew 8 says of the centurion, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. See that? Speak the word only. Sometimes wives say, honey, speak the word only. And husbands would say, honey, just talk about it. Oh, I, if, I, if I talk about it, you want to fix it. Then what do you want? I'm a fixer. It's what we do. We fix things. We troubleshoot. I just want you to listen. If I listen, will you stop complaining about it? Oh, not until tomorrow. Then let me fix it between today and tomorrow so we don't have to talk about it again tomorrow. God puts men and women together because we're both messed up and need balancing each other and require God's help to do both and have peace. It's why homosexuality, another reason why it doesn't work, and it's not God. Because, no way. <laughs> not only is it devoid of God, it mocks God. Only speak the word, my servant shall be healed, for I am a man under authority. He has authority, and he understands how authority works. I have soldiers under me, and I think to this man. No. I say, wives, you should talk clearly, and then don't be upset when your husband wants to fix. 
I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, I think. I wish they'd come over here. Now he says, to another, I say, come. That also means, husbands, you should communicate to your wife the direction and vision for your home. Girls, single ladies, don't follow a man who has trouble communicating. You should ask everybody in their life, are they a recluse? Don't marry a reclusive man. Don't marry a passive personality. Marry somebody who knows where they're going and knows how to get people to follow them. One of the biggest complaints I've had in our church over the years of me helping marriages is I just need more communication. The lack of communication is the biggest complaint I get when I help marriages. I just need more communication. So, and it kind of goes hand in hand with I need more drive. I need my husband to have more drive. I say to this one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. There's no belly aching, no debating, no challenge. I just, I'm a man under authority, and I know how it works. You speak, obedience happens. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I send you, I have not found so great faith, no not in Israel. So uh, we can see that part of communication is also a demonstration of faith. If I speak, something happens. If I speak, something happens. If I command, something's going to take place. We, once we learn our authority and we're comfortable using it, we have uh, this faith that says, if I command Carol, he's going to obey. If I command Jessica, she's going to obey. If I command the nurse when my baby's hurting, they're going to obey because I have authority. The police fully expect us to obey. The teacher expects the student to obey. The boss looks at you and says, they're going to obey. And of course, then if we don't, their authorization kicks into another level, and now they enforce the obedience. They either reprimand you or they fire you or they arrest you or they kick you out of class. Either way, they're going to maintain peace on their streets, peace in their classroom, or peace on the factory line. We get this intuitively, and we don't have a problem submitting to it because I think we're law-abiding citizens. What we struggle with is using the authority God's given us to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, which is peace and harmony in our body, mind, soul, in our families, in our children, in our home, on our job, and anything under us. And so authority is not for the faint of heart, nor is it for the lazy or the mute. But even the mute, if he was a good leader, he'd, have, he'd be using semaphore and codes and smoke uh, signals and whatever. He would communicate. That's why they invented sign language. This passage provides great insight into both faith and authority. So please know we demonstrate faith by using communication. The Roman centurion was the personification of authority, which is why this story is so powerful. His authorization came down from Caesar himself and was bestowed to accomplish the emperor's will throughout the empire. Caesar's authority was exercised by simple verbal commands. The, the authority of the world leader, Caesar, Caesar Augustus, Caesar, uh, whoever it may have been at the time, his will was accomplished through spoken word. And Everybody in the Roman Empire experiencing the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, knew that when the satiric commands you, you obey because he has a hundred soldiers that will wipe your village out if you don't. Submit to the voice or submit to the sword, but either way, you're going to submit. Caesar's authority was exercised by simple verbal commands. Do this, do that, come, go, etc. Obedience followed or there would be consequences. The centurion impressed Christ because this was exactly how the Son of God operated while ministering in the earth. He exercised his authority by speaking. So I have a couple examples here. Christ demonstrated authority over the devil when he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
and obedience followed. Let's pause here. This is simple word of faith doctrine. Word of faith doctrine is heavily criticized by what we'd call maybe hyper-conservative theologians who don't believe in the power of God. Yet they exercise the same principle in their home. Word of faith says, I speak and it obeys. That's it. Word of faith. I speak, it obeys. I speak to mountains, speak to demons, I speak to storms, I speak to sickness, it obeys. Not because of my power, but because God's power. Not because of my authority, but because of Christ's authority. And I find the ignorant hypocrisy of the body of Christ that is against pure, and we say pure word of faith doctrine, is that they operate in faith in the power to command. They're just totally ignorant of doing it in the spirit realm. So most people who are devoid of word of faith doctrine and believe in hypersovereignty have zero demonology doctrine, and therefore the devil will eat their lunch till the day they die prematurely because they think they have to go with it. When you and I have been taught so far better than that in this arena, and that when the devil comes, we say, get thee behind me. I have authority over you. Shut up and go to hell. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. That's how the archangel Michael said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. He spoke, and even the angel demonstrated authority over Satan himself. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. Jesus taught us the very first thing he did authorized of God was rebuke the devil. He didn't think, he didn't hope like a Calvinist that this is going to turn soon and I will learn what I'm supposed to learn. Well, if you're going to learn something, learn to have authority and speak to things. Jesus demonstrated authority to call mankind to repentance. When he said, repent, he commanded, he expected obedience. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and obedience followed. He demonstrated authority to call people to himself when he said, follow me. That's a command. And he expected obedience. I'll make you fishers of men. Obedience followed that command. He demonstrated authority over sickness when he said, be thou clean or stretch forth thy hand or Lazarus come forth. He spoke all these commands. They were a flexing of his authoritative muscle and everything he spoke to obeyed him. He demonstrated authority over demons when he cast out the spirits with his word. I don't believe in that word of faith doctrine. That's fine. You can believe what you want, and you can also suffer more than you should. I love the fact that I was given that doctrine almost 30 years ago so that I don't have to suffer more than is necessary. We're going to suffer. The Bible promises. But I'm not suffering at the hands of something I have authority over. I'm not going to suffer at the hand of demons. If I have authority over it, I'm cursing it. I'm taking it. I'm going to use the authority. I'm not going to suffer at the hands of my children in my house. I'm going to punish them and put them in their rooms. If they're causing chaos, I've been authorized to maintain peace in my home. The two of you fight and stand by the paddle. Wear their bums out. Go to your rooms. That brings peace to the rest of my home. Why would you suffer at something under you? Why would you as a Christian choose to suffer at the hands of something beneath you? I understand the word of faith doctrine has become very perverse in the last 20 years since the fathers of the movement died out, but it doesn't change the pure doctrine. He demonstrated authority to forgive sins when he said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And of course, obedience followed. And then Christ demonstrated authority over weather when he rebuked the storm, saying, Peace, be still. Christians, especially word of faith Christians, are often mocked when we stand and pray against weather. But Jesus did it. Why wouldn't we try? At least try. The fact that the Old Testament Jews prayed for rain 
New Testament Christians rebuked rain, kind of tells us we have authority over rain. So why would you mock something that's biblically based, except that you're an ignoramus, probably just too little theologically minded, too intellectual, having been brought up in industrialized, revolutionary Western civilization? That just doesn't make any kind of sense. It's because you're a moron. (laughs) And not many wives are called, so you may want to evaluate your calling. If Jesus, our example exercised his authority by speaking the word to the issue at hand, we would do well to follow his example. He used his authority and spoke the word of God to the issue at hand. We're not better than our master. We should do the same thing. Don't expect instantaneous results because we have to grow in this thing. We keep speaking to it. I've taught you that if your mind talks to you a thousand times, you rebuke it a thousand and one. If symptoms talk to you 100 times, you rebuke it 105 times. You stand your ground till you get compliance. Even the police, they don't just say, well, I guess they're not going to reply. Let's head back to the station. They stand there and they start to ramp up their authority. Rules of engagement. Just please simply command. Please don't resist me. Please put your hands behind your back. Please spread your feet. I don't want to have to take you down. I don't want to have to be on the news. I don't want to be canceled because you're a rebellious, lawless person. Just obey, and it will go well with you. Let's not add resisting arrest to the list of other felonies. And please, let's not put your life at risk, because it is yours. And I'm the one with a lot of weapons. Even they don't roll over and take no for an answer. Spiritual family. Let's see how authority is demonstrated here. The spiritual family, be it the congregation in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, because Israel wasn't a nation when they were in the wilderness. They were just a bunch of Bedouin slaves roaming around. They're called the congregation in the wilderness. The nation of Israel or the church, it is ruled, directed, instructed, and strengthened by the authority of its leaders. So the spiritual family, today it's the church, the spiritual family is ruled because it is ruled. It's directed, it's instructed, and strengthened by the leader's authorities. We don't let politicians come in here and steer the church. We don't let police come in here and steer the church. We let God-ordained ministers and elders and deacons steer the church. That This is their realm. I don't go tell the politicians how to legislate unless I give them my opinion, but they still make the decision on their own. This is all accomplished through communication, usually spoken words. God communicated his Edenic covenant with and expectations of Adam when he first made the man. So when God first instituted the spiritual family, it was with words and it had commands and expectations. So even God's authority in instituting a spiritual family required words. God had to speak. He didn't communicate thought to thought. It's spoken. The Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it, to keep it. The Lord God commanded. There's that spoken authority. He commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thou thereof thou shalt surely die. Here's the covenant. Here's the responsibility. Here's the punishment. That is how authority is exercised. The law of Moses was spoken by God, beginning with the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 says that, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And he begins with the first commandment. 
thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a spoken commandment. He goes on to lay out the other nine commandments. God presided over his spiritual family through the law of Moses and by the word of the Lord. So we have the law of Moses, which was written on tablets of stone and codified, but then also direction would come to Israel through the word of the Lord by his prophets. But he's always speaking by his spirit to help his people. In the fullness of time, he instituted the new covenant through the preaching of the gospel. And even preaching is commanded communication. Every person has been given authorization to, quote, call upon the name of the Lord. Now think about that. Even to be saved, you have to be authorized. That's why we call it an invitation. You can't call upon someone you know nothing about. We give it an invitation because we invite you to come forward, and we, in a sense, bequeath authorization to you to invoke the name of our God. But we did it because we built your faith. And then we said, now, if you need Jesus, you need to come on down here. Now, you've got to confess with your mouth because that's how we release authority. And you're going to call upon his name and you're going to ask him to do something for you. And he's going to obey that. That's authorization. Now, we don't take it any further than that because we don't command God. But when you say, God, save me, you're telling God to do something. And he can't do it until you ask him to. So even the concept of being born again and calling upon his name takes an authorization and a release of faith and a speaking of words. Because whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help! Save me! Redeem me! Have mercy on me, O God! And he has mercy. And in a sense, and I'm very careful how I say it, in a sense he obeys. He answers you. And he delivers you because you asked of him. Now in the New Testament church, church leaders still use words and the word to lead and steer the present spiritual family. 2 Timothy 4.2 in the Amplified reads, Herald and preach the word. Well, that's using words, right? Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by, be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you as the preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. That's the preacher's job. We use words to say, you know, Miss Angie, you got to fix this. You know, Steve-O, you got, this isn't right over here. I need you to, I need you to fix this if you're going to keep serving God. That's what we do. It's not always comfortable. We don't take pleasure in it. That's why the Bible has to encourage us preachers, keep your sense of urgency. You don't, respond or, uh, uh, you don't answer to the people. You answer to God. You're supposed to help the people. You're to convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them. These are all words. You can't really encourage or you really can't convince without words. You can't really rebuke without words. You can't correct without words. I've been on a lot of mission trips. I've done a lot of uh, construction projects on mission trips and done a lot of things that weren't preaching related. And so I've worked with folks in Poland and South America and Africa. And you get into pantomiming. It is like um, charades. And you're like, they're like, this violent, which you know, that's the universal. No, stop. I mean, you can only do that so long. And they're like, man, I gotta, somebody got to talk English to me. They're like, that right there goes right there. And you're like, I hate the French already. And you're not even French. You're dumb pantomiming. And then somebody's like, who speaks? Who can translate for us? Even with pantomiming, it's very limited and it's exhausting. 
And like, this trip can't be over fast enough. Go home and talk to people, even with a weird accent. At least they understand me and I understand them. None of this can be done without words. You can encourage with a hug, but that's not going to be enough eventually. We have to be unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. So that's authority exercised with words in the spiritual family. How about personal authority? We again are going in the order of the four spheres that God revealed in the Genesis. Spiritual family first, then personal responsibility. He made the spiritual family, then he said, don't eat that. That's personal responsibility. Self-government requires personal authority. Self-government requires personal authority. It's another reason we reject Calvinism or determinism or predestination because it says basically you have no choice. We believe in free choice. Amen. Thankfully, we have been given that by God. That is personal authority to self-govern. If there is no such thing as autonomy, why is the the demon realm so insistent upon communism and socialism to suppress freedoms. That again comes back to Calvinism's gross lack of demonology doctrine. We exercise our authority over self through words. It is necessary to communicate, direct, instruct, encourage, correct, and even rebuke oneself. Every one of us has said, gosh almighty, I'm so stupid. Quit being so stupid, man. Everybody's done that, right? If you're not careful, it can come into beating yourself up. There's a big difference between rebuking yourself. Quit being so stupid. Why do we always open our mouth? Come on, man. And then just beating yourself up. Both of them require words. Leaving yourself a personal note or reminder might aid on occasion, but it is not the same as, quote, encouraging yourself in the Lord or speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are necessary, and they are biblical commands. It is biblical to talk to yourself, and you should. And you talk to yourself because you have autonomy. You have self-government, self-authority. You ought to be speaking to yourself. You ought to be speaking to your emotions. You ought to be speaking to your mind. If you don't tell your mind to shut up at least five times a day, you're probably not serving God as you could. Because I still say, mind, shut up. Where is that coming from? Shut up. What have I been feeding on to make that come up? Shut up. You ought to be the one person you tell to shut up more than anybody else. If you're really good at telling everybody else to shut up, you're either a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> you probably shouldn't use those words. Or uh, you're not doing your Christian duty when it comes to self-discipline. We flex our authoritative muscles over our appetites, our flesh, and emotions through prayer, commandments, and declarations of faith. So I've got a couple verses here. Job 22, 28. Thou shalt also decree a thing. That's a declaration. Whatever you decree, it'll be established, and the light shall shine upon your ways. The more we speak and declare things, the more clarity we have in life. We are very firm believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Mark 11, when Jesus said, you will have what you say. If our Savior told his disciples, you can have what you say, then you can. So you have to be careful what you say. Well, I just don't ever understand this. This is too hard. I'm never going to get it. I wouldn't say that. I was taught by one of my disciples, Tony, years ago in college. He just taught us. I'm thankful he discipled us. He had learned when he took over a class, uh, took, took a new class at the beginning of his semester. He said, I would lay all my textbooks out on the bed. 
and I would pray over them. And I would say, Lord, you've called me to this school. You've called me to this degree. You've called me to this course. You knew they were going to require it. I need the Holy Spirit to help me absorb the information in these books. If this is my calling, you must anoint me to understand it. Books, give up your knowledge easily in Jesus' name. Why not? It's better than wringing your hands saying, some way, somehow, some way, somehow. I don't know if God's called me. Is this a closed door or an open door? Is this, is this an opportunity or is this resistance? Uh, the, the way some denominational Christians focus, fun, function in the kingdom is borderline pagan superstition. Don't expect God's will to be accomplished easily in your life. And if you're walking by open and closed doors, you'll think resistance and difficulty is a closed door and you'll end up choosing a lesser destiny because it was just easier. All right. Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Here's David talking to himself. Why are you so disquieted in me? Hope in God. He doesn't just ask the question. He, then he tells him what to do. Hope in God. He asks the question, but he has the answer. Why are you so disquieted? Because you quit hoping in God. You can tell he's just as hard on himself as he is his soldiers and his enemies. At least he was equal across the board. I, no, take it back. He was not that hard on his boys, which is why they all died. Perverts. Not a good son. David did not raise up one son successfully. Not even Solomon. I wish he would have been harder on his boys like he was himself, his soldiers, and his enemies. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Ecclesiastes 2.10. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. Now, I say here that this is not a good verse. This verse explains how Solomon ruined everything by never exercising personal authority over his appetites. He begins Ecclesiastes for te by telling us how he ruined everything. He says, I withheld nothing from myself. I was the king. I had everything I wanted. And that's why the rest of Ecclesiastes says, Vanity, vanity. Don't do this. It's not worth it. Don't do that. It's not worth it. This is pointless. That, how could he tell you? Because he did it all. And in doing it all, he destroyed the kingdom, split the kingdom, ruined his daddy's reputation, and was really an abject and a pervert. Romans 12, 2, very famous. We'll probably talk about it in the next service. Be not conformed to this world, but you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We exercise authority over our mind by renewing it. We tell it to shut up. We say, nope, we're not going to think about those thoughts. We're going to cast that stuff down. You got to know where your weaknesses are so you don't go feed there. If, uh, if you know Indian food blows right through you, you're going to avoid it. If you know you're lactose intolerant, see, it all does come back to poop this service, apparently. Uh, lactose intolerant, and it's going to blow right through you, you'll avoid it. If you know you can't watch certain things, otherwise it just haunts your mind, don't watch it. You can't read certain things. If the news just makes you a, a nervous Nelly, don't, don't listen to the news. Know your weaknesses. Quit playing with them. 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That is a demonstration of authority. If you know how to possess your vessel, you're commanding it. Nope, we're not eating anymore. Nope, we're not looking at that. Nope, we're not going to pursue that girl. Nope, we're not doing this and we're not doing that. I know how to possess my vessel, and we do it through commandments. You know, if I eat one more, I'm going to be up with heartburn. Or I'm not even going to start at the buffet because I won't stop. Or maybe I have too much of a sweet tooth, and I need to get the victory over that sweet tooth. 
A sweet tooth is nothing to brag about. We really, in America, we brag about carnality. We brag about sinfulness. When the Bible condemns it, I don't, how is there a disconnect there? But there is. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I strictly discipline my body. That is not an American doctrine. Paul said, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. That would solve a lot of health issues in America. Probably 90% of them. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You mean a lazy, sloppy body could disqualify you from ministry and gospel message? Yep, absolutely. Those are pretty simple verses. I think we understand what we're to do. A bulk of Christian discipleship is all about you and I learning how to submit our mind, will, and emotions and our appetites so that our body's disciplined and our mind is disciplined. A disciplined body is peaceful and harmonious. Disciplined soul is peaceful and harmonious. God does not grant us permission to be a nervous Nelly up here in our mind. Ooh, ooh, always worried about what people think. Always having to apologize and, and try to make excuses. Just let that thing die. Tell it to shut up. Natural family. I got to get going here. Authority in the natural family is demonstrated through commands and directions, just like every other realm of authority. Instruction, correction, encouragement, and love are all communicated through words. The head of a home will not successfully lead it if their head is always buried in a book, a game, console, or a smartphone. The head of a household, whether it's a father or a single mom, will fail if their head is always buried in some kind of entertainment device or career. It takes words to steer a family. Leadership takes communication. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, the Amplified reads, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be written on your heart and mine. You shall teach them diligently to your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths. That's what diligent discipleship will do for your kid. I will not ask the question, but I know the answer. Very few parents in our church have Bible studies with their kids. They're expecting me to do it. That's a failed parent. If you're not regularly talking to your children about the Word of God and doctrine and our faith and where you come from, you are failing as a parent, and there's no hope to give you for the future of their salvation. This is Deuteronomy 6. This has been in the Bible for 3,500 years. We think the Sunday school teacher is responsible for parenting our kids. We think the youth leader is supposed to do it until they come to us, then we get offended. Sure is hard to help an American Christian parent, always making excuses and defending their failures. I want to help you because I'm going to be responsible for your kid when they turn 18, and I'm trying to get the workload off me. Help me help you. Help me help you. Help me help you help me. Because one of those days those kids are going to leave your house and they're going to be my spiritual responsibility. And my burden should be getting lighter, not heavier. Speak of them when you sit in your house. Get your face out of your stupid phone. And talk to your kids about God and your own personal testimonies. Quit failing your God and your family. And when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up, always talk about your God with your kids so that God is all they know. Ephesians 6, 4 in the Amplified. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial. 
That sounds like a bunch of southern redneck parents to me. Or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive. Nor by showing favoritism or indifference to them. That's just as painful as abuse. Just ignoring them. Isn't it interesting? The Bible teaches us not to do this, and yet we do it. But bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then Hebrews 12, 7. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? I love that. I think that's NLT version. The head of the home, in most cases the husband, must be diligent to communicate the house vision and direction, including love, encouragement, correction, and friendship. A quiet leader is no leader. A quiet leader is no leader. Finally, well, three minutes left. Civil governments, governments legislate laws, enforce laws, and administrate their own rank and file. The authority to do so cannot be realized without communication, and this manifests as decrees, edicts, proclamations, and commands. Second Chronicles, just, I just pulled a few examples. Second Chronicles 30 says, So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. That is from sea to sea. That's from northern city to southern city. But the governments, the kings, they established a decree to make a proclamation. You can't govern a people without communication. You can't exercise authority without communicating what needs to be done. Both in our church and in my home, I have learned in the last two or three years, I cannot complain about what I have not trained about. That's my little rhyming scheme. If I ever come up with another rhyming scheme, please rebuke me. Please, because I don't like the rhyming limerick gimmick thing, but it works. I've learned as a leader, I can't complain if I haven't trained. So with my children, I don't discipline them if I haven't taught them yet. That's not fair. And I can't get irritated at you if I haven't trained you how to do better. So we would do really well to chill out. Quit beating your kid like your dad beat you. You know, he was a drunken slob. That's why he beat you. Why do you beat your kid the way you do? I'm all for discipline, but make sure you're fair and just in how and why you get upset. Ezra 5.13, but in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree. That's an official proclamation. That's his authority declaring with words, let's build the kingdom or excuse me, build the, the temple in Israel. Spilled this house of God. And then Esther 9.32, and the decree of Esther, she's the queen of Persia. She confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. That is the festival of lights. That is uh, celebrating how God saved the uh, Israelites through the testimony of Mordecai against Haman when they was going to have them all wiped out. Esther's decree instituted this celebration for the Jews, the celebration of Purim. And I, I, I don't want to go into do too much detail with civil governments because I think that's the easiest to understand. Their authority is instituted with a proclamation. Sometimes the Supreme Court justice drops a gavel and it's written. Legislating uh, sessions are terminated. Bills pass. It's written, legislated, then it's dispersed through communication. Uh, we got to go and be a part of the adoption for rain. And uh, I watched the lawyer tell the, the magistrate, the judge, this is under the new law that just passed, was July 1st? Yeah. And it was cool to watch them communicate how the adoption was going to take place under the new law that just settled a few days ago. So even with the new legislation that just came down from Tennessee law, the lawyer is reminding the judge that the reason we're doing this now and not three months from now is because of the new law that just took effect. So even the lawyer, whose specialty is law 
and the judge who adjudicates and interprets law are discussing what our legislators just passed two weeks ago. I think we understand it, but now apply it to your own life and be diligent about it. May God help every one of us learn both the authority we've been given, what we are to accomplish with it, and then how to realize those assignments. May we not be passive concerning God's will for our lives. Amen.